Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Zed. This is Kevin. And we are back after an eventful week. Um, I guess I guess we're going to start with the bad news here, <laughs> as oh, we, we, we often do. I, I, I think so. Let's just get it out of the way, and then we can move on to happier All things. Right. Also, no one All has right. What's the Band-Aid? Let's rip the Band-Aid. Yeah. Another year, another loss to Arizona in football, thus dashing any hopes or dreams of a, you know, elite a deep type conference of season, run. deep yeah. conference run, whatever you want to call it. It 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 essentially erases UCLA from any sort of conversation at this point of the season. Yeah, uh, this was a beating. Uh, this. This was getting taken to the woodshed, uh, and and the score may not look like that. It might just look like, oh, well, it was it was twenty-seven to ten, um, but but UCLA on offense never ever looked like threatening to enough to get to even like twenty-one or a respectable number on the road, uh, and that was without like throwing the the usual interceptions and such that we usually do. Uh, we we actually were clean with the ball this game. Uh, we were just bad with it, uh, and then. On the defensive side, again, it, it doesn't look so bad. You know, 27 points so when your offense can't do anything and your defense on the field the whole time. I mean, it, you, can, you can build a narrative for that. But then you look at the actual, you know, drive charts here. Arizona only had eight meaningful drives in the entire game. Um, they pretty much moved the ball on every single drive, I'm looking here, but one. Uh, and they scored on five of them. So success rate was very high for Arizona, and, and primarily because they could keep us in conflict. I think what we've seen um, from UCLA's defense, um, and, and I think this is a credit to Danton Lynn, uh, is when you're one-dimensional or you have one side of the ball that's much more better than the other, uh, he's able to mask the personnel really well and just completely shut you down. But when we've played teams that can add a little balance and add some conflict and we have to play them a little bit more straight up our personnel deficiencies come out um, like our deficiencies in the secondary I think showed in this game um, we can be a little slow-footed at linebacker and when we have to play teams that'll make them chase across the field uh, they can struggle and, I, and I, again this is credit to Danton Lynn because the fact that we have this good of a defense when I think we really mainly have one elite unit there uh, which is the defensive line um, on offense, I mean, where else to start but here? Uh, the first drive, what, what did we say was going to happen? <laughs> we, we, were, we were calling for more run game, and if you look at that drive chart, we did nothing but throw. So first drive, Ethan Garber's pass complete to Logan Lair for four yards. Second, second play, I don't, why, why do we want Colin to get throw? Like, what, I... I I've what been is, saying this seeing? since I, he's thrown at this point in his UCLA career like 10 times. And I don't think he's – I cannot remember a single completion out of the, his his uh, throws. I just can't. His first throw from like three games ago or whatever was an interception, if I remember correctly. This game, again, he comes into the, the game. Great. I'm all for college sleep playing uh, as an option quarterback because he does that really well. But then we have these terrible like throwing plays for him that he never completes. And in this situation, the guy was wide open. He just missed. In conference play, Colin Schley is one for seven for one yard and an interception. That's all you need to know. Like, let's just... And this is not a thing against Colin Schley. Like, once again, this is... Colin Schley being put in a position to not succeed, to not play to his strengths. Um, and, and, and just that, that I think basically summarizes the UCLA offense this year. We have serviceable running backs who do have the ability to churn out three, four yards at a time, if not get to the five, six number. They're not elite Zach Charbonnet level, but they were serviceable backs. Our offensive line has proven they're a serviceable run-blocking unit and a very poor pass-blocking unit. And Arizona was teeing off uh, on their pa- with their pass rushers uh, against UCLA. Uh, they were getting after it every single play to where like, it was 
like literally unsafe to be back there like as we saw how it all played out like well, it was, we lost it was, all of our quarterbacks right like because because literally it was unsafe to like be out there because their pass rushes were teeing completely off it was yeah it was a bloodbath for our quarterbacks this game because everybody bruno fina on the left side like he's struggled all season long he was getting beat the interior was getting beat it, it was it was frankly embarrassing uh i mean the offense in general is is in complete disarray but i think we'd be remiss to say to to not mention this we left what six points on the table which would change the complete complexion of this game because we don't have a kicker chip kelly finally made the the kicking change we bring in blake glessner in instead of lopez great i i'm all for this move you know lopez has been struggling well the result not much better if if it was better at all it might have been worse actually not sure it was just this is these are chickens coming home to roost when you don't recruit a scholarship kicker uh, and this is not a knock on lopez or glessner like you know those kids are going out there and doing their best but Look, when you don't get talent at a position where UCLA has had a lot of talent historically at, so we've been spoiled. But the chickens came home to roost, and they've been coming home to roost all season long because we don't have a kicking game. So when we get into the red zone, and with this offense, we stall more often than not. We can't get any points on the board because we can't kick the ball in uh, in between the uprights. We just can't do it. <laughs> it's It's frankly embarrassing. It's not a good formula because we can we can tell from the games that we have won that the way that we need to win with this team is to control the game with our defense, with our pass rush, and then run the ball and just take points when we can. Um, and in that kind of a team, uh, when you can't convert pretty like easy field goals, right? Uh, because Again, like the field goals that we're talking about at the end of this is uh, like the first one was 42 yards after the punt, after the, the interception. Uh, and that was also because of the penalty uh, with Bruno Fina that turned him all the way back. Um, the second kick, 41 yarders. So again, that fine. You know what? I guess, you know, a, a 41 yarder, are we calling that hard now? And then the one we made was 29 yards. So looks like our range is pretty much 30 and in that's hard that's really hard to to play with there um and again yeah specialist kickers special teams in in general um never really been a strength of ucla's and when you have an offense that's like this uh that's when the chickens come home to roost so we're at this juncture of the season now where we have six wins three losses Best mm-hmm. we can do in the regular season, besides the bowl game, is nine and three. I have to ask the question because I think there's already a lot of people asking this question: Is it time to move on from Chip Kelly? And I think I've made myself pretty clear on Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, about my stance on this. But but I'd like to hear your stance on this, Kevin. Uh. This has always been an. Uh, see, it's like kind of interesting, and it's not really interesting because on one angle, the numbers for Chip Kelly kind of speak for themselves. Uh, we've had six years of this. It's not like a one or two year reaction. Um, his record, when it comes to like games against any team that finishes with a winning record, is just terrible. Um, and, and so David Woods from Bruin Report Online, he tweets about this uh, over the last week. So for coaches that at least got five years at UCLA, Chip Kelly would need to win 17 straight more games against teams with a winning record to equal Jim Mora. He would need to win nine straight more against winning teams to equal Carl Durrell. 16 straight more to equal Bob Toledo. So we have a, a spectrum of coaches here, right? Um, we have bad coaches like Carl Durrell, and we have what were, you know, all right coaches that had, that had their good years, like Jim Moore and Bob Toledo and Chip has significantly underperformed all of them. So the performance 
would indicate, yeah, uh, it's it's time to move on. And with that said, I think there, people people wanted this to work. People wanted this whole narrative where, hey, the first two years we had to go through it and suffer and then build it up to this point where we've won eight and nine and we're probably going to end up winning eight games again this year. So, like, pe- people – I want that to be true. I don't want to sit here and feel so bad about our football team. But Yeah, when we you all look wanted at, to look back and say, right. hey, the, the ends justified those means. And I don't think the record is so bad as, you know, the whole thing is just fool's gold. Because whenever we play a competent team, it's not even a good team or a great team, but a competent team that just has a, has some balance to give you, that has something on defense that can, can hold you back, we lose. We, we just It's just the history of the Chip Kelly era. We lose those games. Very seldom have we gone ahead and won, and the only year we did was last year. Um, and every time that it looked like this thing could, you know, take off, like, hey, we beat LSU, well, we come back and lose to Fresno State and Arizona State. Uh, last year, we beat Utah and we beat Washington. And then, oh, wait, we get our pants kicked off by Oregon, then come home and lose to Arizona. Um, it's just always, we've never been able to fully push it all the way there. And I think a couple things really stuck out against Arizona when we played them. Um, Arizona should never be out recruiting UCLA. Okay, like we're not comparing this to some great football powerhouse. This is Arizona. And to a man, they all just looked better. If I just, to be completely honest, like they, their receivers looked like big, strong, fast receivers. On defense, they had some big dudes that could rush the passer, um, they had some guys that can run. I shouldn't, we shouldn't be able to turn on the UCLA-Arizona game and see a talent mismatch going the other way. And that's, in my opinion, what we saw. And that, to me, is what makes the whole thing scary going forward, is we have never had a good system of player acquisition. Um, we have never really had a way to sustainably replace productive players as and when they move forward. Uh, and this year is when all those chickens have come to roost. Uh, the, we have missed in the transfer portal this year. Um, it has not been what we have gotten in the past several years. Um, and that, that, is, that, that has come to roost. And yet again, that, that's, that's what makes it so hard because we're probably going to go 8-4. and four And, you know, who knows with our administration what happens with that. This is what I'll say. Um, so I, again, like I said, I've made this very clear. I I don't want Chip Kelly as head coach at UCLA anymore. I I really haven't wanted him as a coach for the last year or two, but this this is really kind of the, the nail in the coffin at this point. I think you've you've laid out the the case around why we shouldn't have him in terms of his record and his wins losses. I think there's a plethora of other reasons and recruiting. There's a plethora of other reasons, including you know not being able to hire a defensive coordinator for the last several years until really this season, uh, which held us back a lot. Um, that that has been a huge black mark, I think, on his tenure here as well. I think this season, none of these other games matter. Actually, I'll take that back. If we lose to ASU this Saturday, and we'll get to that game in a minute, we should fire him on the spot. I don't care about buyouts. I don't care about any of that. That would be a straight-up absolute embarrassment. ASU's not a good team. I know they've been playing better, but they're not a good team. That should warrant a firing immediately. That being said, I don't think any of these other games matter in terms of how we we approach Chip Kelly, except for one. It's going to be the USC game. And if we lose to Southern Cal and go eight and four, I think he's gone. I, I don't think you can keep him at this point. That's also a losing record against SC over six years. Well, and, if and, he and wins, this is, yeah. Oh, I think if he wins, then he might survive. Unless he loses to ASU, then then we have a different conversation. But again, let's go back to our, our 
our postulate that we have formed, you know, over six years now. Uh, generally speaking, we don't lose to ASU. And now ASU has improved. Uh, they, they, they beat Washington State a couple weeks ago. That was their first, uh, you know, Power 5 win. But they got the, their doors blown off last week uh, against Utah. And we, we play them at home, and, you know, in front of uh, a nice, uh, quiet, empty crowd. So I, I don't... No one's going to be at the it, game. No, no one will be at the game. Um, the last game against Cal, I mean, I guess Cal offensively, Jaden Knott, um, he, he's, he's been really good. But, but they've been going around pretty much getting pants by everybody besides SC. So I don't see us... I, this is just, I mean, this has been really predictable. And then USC to me is a toss-up because they're a team that will finish with a winning record. And if they finish with a winning record, then... You know, who who knows where that – like, Chip Kelly generally has prepared for that game well, uh, but th- at that point, you're right, the, the record would speak for itself. It's a losing record against USC, um, and that would be good. He has this to win is, this season, well, by the way, against SC to be 500 against them. So it's not yeah. like we're, we're uh, going to be in the, the positive column here if he wins. This is just to get to 500 against SC. Yeah, I mean, and even the stuff about he hasn't been able to hire a defensive coordinator for, you know, so many years. Like, I could even get past that if we could now say, well, hey, he's got the defensive coordinator and we're showing signs of health, like, overall in the program. But I think what we see is that he's not someone that is very complete uh, in terms of how he constructs a football program. Uh, He worries about the offense. He completely neglects special teams. We've seen it for many years now. Um, he has neglected defense completely until this year. And this is kind of scary because what we're seeing is that we have a defensive coordinator that's masking personnel really well um, to, to make us the defense that we are. And all these guys are going to be gone next year. So how do we replace the, that talent? Well, we're going to have to go to the transfer portal where this year we did not have the success rate that we had a year, the year be- years before that. Um, and remember, the years before that, that was pre-NIL and just at the very beginning of the transfer portal. There's no secret anymore. Uh, everyone's going to the transfer portal now. So, you know, is that going to be a sustainable thing to replace all the players that we have going forward? I don't think so. And then I think fundamentally, though, the, the biggest reason to that, that I think the administration may move on this, you know, even if we do go eight and four, um, or maybe even nine and three. There is zero juice here. There is just no juice in this thing. Um, this has gotten to a very pathetic level of apathy uh, from from UCLA. Uh, just alums, fans, the school. Uh, it, it to see these kind of crowds come out, um, and and to see a coach that just doesn't appreciate any of it like he, he this week he's trying to blame the media for dividing the team and dividing the fan base as if like we're the media is the ones that are making sure that these narratives about your team that is losing on the field uh are out there uh, it's just i mean it's clear that he has a certain way he wants to do things that's fine that's his choice it doesn't work it, 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 it just, it doesn't work. And we've seen six years of it. I mean, the, the moment we don't play three FCS teams, like we could be in for some trouble. Um, but, but even with that, again, I don't know how you can kill fan support even more than what we've already killed it. You can't, it's literally non-existent. I mean, you go and, and Colorado, the Colorado game withstanding, the Rose Bowl's been empty for the better part of the last two or two years, really. I'm not going to count the couple of years before that. Obviously, there was a COVID year in there as well. It's been a it's been a graveyard, man. It's just it's dead because nobody cares. I think people even kind of have caught on. Even the most casual fans have caught on that. Like, look, yeah, we might win a game here or there, and look looks like we're gaining momentum but this is not sustainable and it always falls apart and that that's consistently happening with chip kelly um and that's within the context that you just mentioned of having pretty soft schedules the last couple of years i think there was a really great opportunity at the beginning of this season to 
start rebuilding that fan base again. Uh, coming off last season, again, it was a disappointment, but still largely a success. You know, there was some buzz around the program. There was uh, some positive improvements, and then we lay this dud of a season so far, losing any meaningful game at this point. And, and it's it's really, I think, put the the nail in the coffin again of, of rebuilding fan support while Chip Kelly's here. Look, I... I I don't have any interest in going to the games myself anymore, like while he's head coach. If we go to whatever mid-bowl game that we get to, if Chip's the coach, I probably won't bother making the the trek out wherever it is, especially based on last season's bowl game and how that played out. Uh, It's just, there's a level of apathy that I think Chip Kelly actually has that is now going downstream into the fan base and it's impacting I'm sure it's impacting revenue I'm sure it's it clearly is impacting you know attendance it's it's a mess it's a mess and I I don't think it's sustainable to keep him another season regardless of buyouts regardless of going into the Big Ten we haven't even mentioned this level of play going into the Big Ten (laughs) like and not to say the Pac-12 has been very good this year itself, but this is just not going to work. And I hope that Martin Jarman understands that, especially if we're a guy coming from a place like Ohio State. Eight and four, nine and three on the surface might look okay, but we know long term the health of this program is not great. We are on life support here. Uh, who knows what's going to happen next season, right? From a roster perspective, we might not have Ethan Garbers or Dante Moore at this rate. And I wouldn't blame them. I wouldn't blame anybody who transfers out at this point. So, Well, and I, that's I, the thing, uh, because that, that that's where I think this gets really interesting, because in today's market, it's not just about trying to get in talent. It's retaining your own talent. Um and if UCLA doesn't have the donor support and they don't have the funds to, you know, essentially pay their players, um, the, anyone that's worth their salt is going to go out and see what they're worth. Uh, and that and that takes you to a very dangerous place. Uh, that takes you to a spot where pretty much you're taking some also rands in and trying to go and put together a team. Um, and if that's the way that Chip Kelly wants to play this, then... You know, again, hopefully, like you said, Martin Jarman sees the writing on the wall there. Um, to me, I think I'm, I'm, I hope what he has realized is that UCLA fans are not stupid. Uh, we don't fall for just oh, well, we're eight and four, and we're seven and five, and we're nine and three. Like we see what happens. Uh, we we see whenever we play any competent team that we get our pants ripped off every single time. And there's also been signs that, you know, hey, we just, just take it a little bit further, and I think they'll, be, they'll start to come back. Uh, but we've never done that. And, I, you know, Martin Jarman has to see that. I do worry a little bit because coaches are lazy people. Um, we've seen this too much with our basketball searches where, uh, you know, they're lazy, they're narrative-driven, they don't do a lot of homework, and... You know, it might be very easy for a lot of coaches to say, oh, well, Chip Kelly couldn't even win there, and he was winning eight and nine games every year, and they were just, they never came to games, and they don't care about football. Um, very easy for a lot of coaches to start build, building those narratives. Just, we've seen that kind of stuff with our basketball coaching searches. But even with that, um, at this point, I think anybody. You have to take that risk. You have to, anybody could come in and inject more juice than what we've got right now, because it's zero. I think keeping Chip Kelly as the coach is a bigger risk than going out to hire somebody. And I do think that media narrative, yes, I, I know Chip Kelly has a lot of friends in the media, at the national media level, talking about this. But you're starting to see some rumblings. You know, Sports Illustrated had an article kind of detailing why Chip probably shouldn't be coach anymore. I think the fan base in general has woken up largely to that conclusion as well. I mean, we... We ran a poll, what, three weeks ago, and it was like 65% already were saying that. I've seen some other folks running polls on, like, Twitter in the last week or so, and it was up to, like, 70%. 
uh, people, and we had like 200 people respond to that, so to your point, yes, the fan base is not stupid. You don't have a generally a stupid fan base with a school like UCLA, which is a, an elite academic institution. <laughs> like People aren't sitting there being duped by these shallow you know records that they're they're trying to flash in front of us trying to create hype it's it's very easy to look under the hood and say there's something wrong here and it starts with the head coach he should be fully accountable for that and if he has not been able to fix it in six years i don't have any confidence he'll be able to fix it ever um and we need to move on and uh, with that being said we still have a game on saturday and there's a lot of buzz around disunity and blah, blah, blah around the, the team. Obviously, we don't even know who the quarterback is at this point. We haven't known who the quarterback is, but from a health perspective, who knows if Ethan Garbers or Dante Moore are going to be actually ready to play. They're practicing. The O-line is, you know, again, still beat up and not good. ASU is not a good team. They're in to rebuild themselves. They're not a good team. Historically, yes, we've beaten them. We're at home in a small crowd, I'm sure, but still at home at a 6 p.m. kickoff. Yet, I wouldn't be surprised if we lose this game. I don't know why. I just don't feel great about it after the last week. And there's just, to your point, there's no juice. And if that hangover carries into this week, uh, against ASU, like I said earlier, I, I think we leave Chip at the at the Rose Bowl, or leave him in the parking lot. I don't care. Just he should not come back to Westwood. Off of Rose Bowl property. Yes, maybe like, yeah, in the city of Pasadena, we can drop him off. That'd be a very nice place for him to be after doing something like that. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe we drop him off, not somewhere so nice. I think the main reason you feel like that is because of the quarterback situation. Uh, our, our quarterbacks are bad enough um, as it is, and if they're not going to be there, like if it's going to be Colin Schley um, that that starts, that gets one-dimensional real fast. Now, maybe with that said, like that literally forces us to only run the ball. Um, maybe that ends up like being all right, but. But no, that gets one-dimensional really fast, and that's probably how you lose to ASU. ASU has has improved uh, over the year. Uh, last week, notwithstanding, I mean, going to Salt Lake for a team that's in rebuild mode can always be a little humbling. But, I mean, they they played USC tough, you know, several weeks ago. Then they went ahead and played Washington really tough. Um, they almost beat Cal, they almost beat Colorado, and then finally broke through against Washington State. Um, it looks so they, completely they, broken now, by the way. Yes, that, that, that thing looks, looks pretty broken. Uh, you know, had a, had a kind of a comeback at the end last week against Oregon State. Um, but yeah, I mean, Arizona State, They've improved. Their their coach is a defensive uh, or is a, is an offensive coach. You know, Kenny Dillingham. Um, who knows? Uh, I guess who knows if if we don't have our quarterbacks out there and Chip still insists on throwing the ball every down every down to start the game. Um, yeah, we absolutely could get beat. Who knows? The other thing with UCLA is, I mean, sometimes we've seen this with basketball, and this is a different administration. It's a different athletic department now, but. Sometimes this needs to go into the gutter before people actually make a change. Um, and you know, Ch- Chip's buyout is interesting because it, it, December 15th is the date that the, that the buyout reduces. But if you wait till that point, uh, and I think this is why they've done it this way, um, the, the early signing period is December 20th, I think, or somewhere roundabouts. You have five days to recruit. So uh, you know, maybe going into the gutter here wouldn't be the worst thing for the for the program. Well, I won't ever root against the team to lose a game, but I I hear your point. I I think again, I expect us to beat ASU. They're not a great team, but 
like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to to lose if we don't have quarterbacks. You know, we and the weird thing is we have young guys on the roster, even if Slee and Moore and uh, Garbers are hurt. Like we have Justin Martin, who allegedly has some talent. We have Chase Griffin, who has played in games before as a backup and actually has looked pretty serviceable. Uh, he's a smart, heady player. He's undersized, but he can you know make some short, intermediate throws and moves the offense. So we have options, but I just don't know why Chip <laughs> refuses to go to anybody when we're in such desperation mode uh, with injuries at that position. But again, it sounds like one of those two guys between Garbers and, and Moore will probably likely be healthy enough to play based on what is going on in practice. Um, and ASU is a bad enough team where if I think either of them are healthy enough to play, we can win when we should win. But I, again, with all the talk around team being disunified and you know the defense being fed up with the offense and the, all that's going on and and I fully think there is something going on here I, it feels like Chip Kelly might have lost the locker room to some degree I feel like when there's some smoke there's yeah, generally a fire with these types of things and if there is no motivation across the team to actually go perform at a high level then losing is completely on the table here regardless of if we have a quarterback or not and we'll see but yeah it, it just it, there's a lot of doom and gloom right now and it, it it's carrying into this game and we'll see how the team responds really after that that defeating loss but but, but hey Zed it's the media's fault it's the media's <laughs> fault that the team is not feeling good after losing a yet another game that's going to crush their entire like conference hopes this year uh, did the same team two years in a row? Yeah. I By mean, the way. This is usually <laughs> the point. When, when coaches start talking like this, like that's when you know that they're kind of feeling it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, I, I guess we'll, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Um, oh, hopefully we don't have to talk too much about football for much longer luckily there's only a few more weeks left uh, and then whatever bowl we get but yeah there's there's really not much more to say besides you know obviously the usc game is always big and you always want to beat them regardless of the coaching situation but we will we'll we'll see uh what happens saturday but there is some good news in all this abysmal feeling. It's basketball season. It is basketball season, and uh, there's a lot to be excited about here. There's a lot to be worried about here, maybe. I don't know, but it's exciting because, you know what? In complete stark opposition to Chip Kelly, we have a guy in basketball, coaching basketball, in Mick Cronin, who I think we can all very, very confidently say now, we trust this guy to do the right thing for our team. That trust is earned over several years. It's earned by seeing a pattern of healthy talent acquisition, talent development, and results on the court. Uh, and we have had those all. I mean, we can complain about you know certain things that he does and you know limitations. What, but 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 we have a healthy program, and because of that, you know, Mick has earned that reputation. It it, it wasn't. It hasn't been given to him. It was not given to him. We saw it play out this last off season, you know, with some recruiting issues and, you know, NIL landscape kind of shifting. He pivoted, went out and got internationals, and not just any internationals, very, very talented, highly talented internationals, several of which are expected to be NBA type players. And we have finally got to see some of these guys in game action. Not all of them, most of them now. Uh, again, St. Francis from Pennsylvania this past Monday in our first game. And before, before I even get to the game, I will say for a Monday early season game, the new roster, 
I was expecting like seven people to be at Poly. There was a little bit more of a crowd than I, I was expecting. I, I went to the game and there there were, there was actually some people there now. It wasn't a big crowd or a great crowd, but hey, look what happens when you uh, actually build up a program. People actually are still interested in coming to even small, meaningless games. Uh, a small, meaningless game at 8.30 p.m. on a Monday, and there's still some people there. There are still some people there. Now, they they did a doubleheader with the women's game, number four uh, women's team, who beat the brakes off of Purdue. I think it was like 92 to 50-something. Um, they they look they look like a buzzsaw and so we're I'm I'm excited to see them as well but yeah there were some there were some people here uh you know UCLA is doing a better job at you know, getting fans in the in the doors against these these lowly opponents for the basketball team so I'll I'll give them some credit there but turning to the actual team uh and the actual game I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something that I think might make you fall out of your chair here, Kevin. All right, let's hear it. Do you know who had the highest plus minus on UCLA in this game against St. Francis? Will McClendon. Will McClendon, you are correct. Yeah, Will McClendon's gonna play. He's gonna be playing this year. He will be, and I think what we saw on the court this past Monday was there's a lot of potential here, but this is going to be a work in progress, which is something we've been saying for a while now, right? I don't think too much was surprising on Monday. So first off, uh, when you have a team this young, the first thing that I, I'm worried about is just win. make sure you win the game and make sure that it's it's comfortable. Um, and then you can try to coach and learn and grow from there. But we, we've been through enough seasons where you lose these kind of games uh, and then the, the season just feels over. So with a young team, that's that's a good start. Um, you know, there's there's cupcakes, there's low majors, and then there's what we've scheduled to start the year. Like we're scheduling like sub 300s uh, and Ken Palm teams to, to start out here. So, and I think that's a good thing. Um, we, we, we don't need to get over our skis right now uh, because from the looks of it, we could use the reps. The actual game itself, uh, you know, Mick usually has established a pattern over the last two years where he has a couple guys, two to three guys that he really trusts, and he is going to ride and die with them. Um, and this year, it is clear who those people are, at least at this point in the season. And they are Lazar Stefanovic and Adem Bona. Um, you you got to love how Mick is just straight with the media with the stuff sometimes as, a, as, as compared to our other coach that we cover here. Um, and I think in the early part of the season, this is absolutely true. Those who pass the ball to a Dembona will play. Those who do not pass the ball to a Dembona will watch him play. Uh, and I think in the early part of the year, that is... I think fine because again you got to get through and win the games and, and Bona is a great way to go ahead and do that. I think we got to start with him. Um, the biggest encouraging thing for me because a lot of his points were against guys he was just completely out over they, they were they were overmatched. But to play 31 minutes and only commit three fouls, I think is a massive improvement. Uh, that was, I think, the most encouraging thing of the entire game for me. Because, like, a Dembona on the court, we saw our plus minuses last year. Um, you know, when he was on the floor, we were a different team. Uh, and that, just by itself, is, is a massive thing to be encouraged by. Um, Lazar Stefanovic plays 36 minutes. Um, and if you listen to Mick in the post game, he says that was two... Wasn't was enough. Three, well, it wasn't enough, right? Um because it, he, he wants him to get double-digit shot attempts up, and, and you can see why. Uh, because he, he doesn't make mistakes. Uh, he plays functionally within the offense, and the key after that is just to give him the confidence just to go ahead and take shots. Um, around him, I think we got – around those two, I think we got a work in progress here. Uh, Sebastian Mack, the, the, the two big lineup. We saw the first instance of it. Now, albeit it was not with Berke Biuktunjil, who – is still not cleared for whatever reason by the NCAA right now because, uh, you know, they can't move up off a paper from one office to the other. So we saw Nuba and Bona on the floor together. 
I think with some mixed results, uh, I was impressed by how well schooled everyone was in terms of where they all needed to be and where they were needed to go with the ball. Um, I, I think that was impressive. And at the same time, you can tell that, you know, for guys like Sebastian Mack and Dylan Andrews and Jan Vide, who were later come in, they like to drive and score and, and, and get their points that way. And that, that just wasn't an option. And because of that, you saw Sebastian Mack only get seven shots up this game. Um, because, yeah. You know, right? The, and and you're, you're calling something out here, and, and, and that's basically the spacing was kind of all off, right, when you had both bigs in there at the same time. And that's something we're going to need to work out. You had Nuba and, and Bona, and even sometimes Bona and Morrow, and we'll get to Morrow in a second, but with both of them in there, it really clogged up the middle, so it was really tough for some of our guards to actually drive it in there uh, and actually get those points that they're, they're used to getting in the mid-range and even you know, at the basket. So that's something that we need to definitely work on. That being said, there was some really nice passing out of the post from both of those guys, actually, both Nuba and Bona, that I was impressed by. Uh, Nuba, Kenny Nuba looks like a completely different player this year. And again, we're not talking about a really good opponent here or anything, but he looks leaner, he looks quicker, he looks more athletic, and he feels like another guy that I think is going to play a lot more just because I think Mick trusts him to know what to do. And he's, he's done that over his career at UCLA. He's been that guy who takes the charge or, you know, does some of the dirty work. But, but Kenny Nuba, Nuba's been impressive uh, for, from an early season perspective. Like, he, he looks like a, an actual serviceable player now. And he's hitting his free throws. He was two for three. He gets fouled, and he's making shots at the free throw line. So I think he's going to be an important piece to this, this team. But, yeah, the... The spacing, man, the spacing was 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 rough at times. Um, and I think that, that lends to a different aspect of this team that we need to improve as well. It's three-point shooting. Three-point shooting is not great still. We need guys to step up. That being said, yeah. we did we did see we did see McClendon hit one. Very confidently too. Yeah, he, he only took one three, he made it. Uh, the two other shots that he took in the game were a little ugly, but he, he hit his three. He made both his free throws. Um, and I think the reason he's going to play early on is because uh, you saw St. Francis try to apply some pressure uh, you know, in, in various parts of the game. And I think some of our passing against a team that is quicker and has some more length than St. Francis, I think we would have been in trouble uh, a little bit. And Will McClendon is someone who – just he knows how to handle the ball and get out of those situations, um, whereas like a Sebastian Mack at this point in his career may not. Uh, so you might see a lot of Dylan Andrews and Will McClendon and Lazar Stefanovic in the early parts of the year, especially when we go to Maui, when we're going to play teams that are going to try to poke the ball away from us, uh, and we're going to need them just to get it up the court. Uh, so I think Will McClendon will play a lot for that. Um, he's going to play because he's tough and he gets rebounds he has to i mean this was an, a great step in the you know make your threes direction I'm, I'm hoping he can build on this because everything i said about all the other things is great if if it's four on five on offense like our spacing is bad enough as it is um like that that'll get bad so the best thing we can hope for is that he is going to improve his shooting from here yeah, he needs to really step it up on offense for sure. I, like you said, he does the little stuff, but he just hasn't been hitting shots. But this is the first three I've seen him hit in a very, very long time, and, and he shot it confidently. So maybe there's something to build off of here. I will start believing in his three-point shot once he hits like two or three more. <laughs> Until then, I I'm agree. still a little skeptical. But The hey, funny thing about our, our sp- yeah, the funny thing about our spacing on this team is I actually, and I know it was the exhibition, but I don't think we have bad shooters on the team. I just think we have better shot makers than we have shooters. Um, 
Sebastian Mack likes to drive and score. Even Lazarus Stefanovic likes to slash and pull up and shoot and score. Um, Dylan Andrews last year, one of his go-to scoring moves was beat someone off the dribble and then pull up from about you know the the uh, the top of the key. Like that that was one of his go-to things. And this this particular lineup with Bona and Nwuba, um probably lended itself not the best to those kind of strengths. Now, we got to see it with Berke in there because, you know, what kind of a face-up game does Berke have? Uh, I think that that might change things. So that that we still have to see. Um, and then there's a Daimara. we got to talk about a Daimara. Um, He's going to be a project, I think, this year. At least early. This is where I... Th- this is where I think uh, we we got to let our, any preconceived notions go about these international players because we've it's like a recruit, uh, like a five star recruit. We've seen enough of these at UCLA, right? Uh, where, yeah, they're rated five stars because of their potential, but are they right? How ready are they contri- to contribute like right now today? Um, like we got to let that stuff play out. Now, I mean, Adai Mara clearly has talent, and he was just cleared like a day before the game. He hadn't scrimmaged with the team. He hadn't played in any of the exhibitions. He hadn't done any of that stuff. So he, he probably hasn't played a competitive game in like a really long time because he didn't play like the last several games of Zaragoza either. So we'll, we'll give him some games under his belt. You know, let's 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 see how that goes. Mick certainly believes in him, but in this game, uh, you know, he was on the floor for six minutes and picked up three fouls. And that's, that's mainly the thing that I think we were worried about with these freshmen, um, you know, foul trouble, the way that Mick plays it, two fouls are on the bench. Um, that, that, that played itself out with him. It did. One thing I was, was impressed with in this game was the lack of turnovers. We only turned the ball over seven times for a young team. That's something you kind of look out for, right? Are we loose with the ball? Are we turning the ball over, throwing the ball away? Again, there's the the caveat. I feel like we keep saying this of St. Francis, but seven turnovers against any team, I think, at this point of the season with our the youth that we have is is a good sign. And in comparison, St. Francis turned the ball over 21 times. So we generated 21 turnovers. I mean, we had nine steals, several blocks. I, the the active hands, the deflections, you could see the team was making an effort on that front. And you got to believe that, you know, despite Mick Cronin coming into that press conference hot, I, I got to imagine he was, to some degree, pleased with the level of effort and the level of deflections that we're generating at this early juncture in the season. And actually, that's what made me feel better about this team going in not seen them before um, in a competitive game with this group than anything else was that most of the guys seem very bought in on defense. And if we're bought in on defense and guys are, you know, starting to get molded into the McCronin system, this will pay dividends later in the season. And we're seeing much earlier signs of guys doing that than I was expecting. I thought it would take a few games for them to get into that rhythm, but they already seem to be bought in, and they're trying their hardest on defense, deflect the ball, get into the lane, you know, make it difficult for guys to score. I mean, you see it from guys like Sebastian Mack. Stevanovic obviously, is, is really stepped up into that role. But even guys like you know, Brandon Williams, he came in, he only played, you know, four minutes, but in that four minutes, uh, or sorry, he played 14 minutes, uh, you know, he hit his free throws, he got several rebounds, five rebounds, uh, got a couple of assists in that. Like, he's he's a guy who's actually impressed me a lot, him, both the Williams, really. And so to get, to get guys who are young, freshmen, never played competitive college games, bought in this early is nothing but a good sign for this team um, in the future. And and by the future, I mean, like, this this spring. I, I, this is going to be a really dangerous team if these guys are, are starting to buy in already. Um, so I'm, that's, I'm excited to see what the, how these guys keep learning. Again, one game under their belt at this point, but 
there's there's a lot to be be happy about. One guy we really didn't see was Ilan Fible in this game because of those damn scooters, man. Can we talk about the scooters for one second, Kevin? Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, it, what, what do we need a scooter rule? Is that allowed? Like, is that would that be allowed to to enforce? I don't see why not. Ah, it should be a team rule at this point. How many guys have we had hurt on scooters? The one I very vividly remember was Johnny Juzang a couple of years back. Hurt his wrist or ankle, or I don't remember exactly what the injury was, but he was held out a game or two because he fell off a scooter. Like Fable again, same thing, got hurt on a scooter. And I see these guys. I go to games in Westwood, and you drive through Westwood now. This is obviously a lot different than 10, 12 years ago when we were in school. There's scooters everywhere. There's kids scootering around literally everywhere, and they're so goddamn reckless. They're just, you know, off the curb into the lane, making turns without really indicating any turn in for, into trap, like just doing wild things. And I get it, they're college kids. They think they're indestructible, but man, from a basketball perspective, can we just... I would love to get rid of scooters completely. Yes, I sound like an old man yelling at the clouds here. Very boomer mentality with, with scooters. But can we just start with basketball or the basketball team banning scooters? Like, Mick, can we do that? I don't see why not. Didn't Bona fall off a scooter last year, too, at some point? I think he did. Um, yeah, someone else did. fell off a scooter. I don't know how Mick just the, his personality how he hasn't just full-blown gone out on them and, and Westwood again is like so hilly and there's you know all, all that kind of stuff with it too that it's not very hard for those kind of things to happen so but but I don't know it, it, somehow it just only happens to players on our team I don't know why but that was the your uh, the other thing about this game was we didn't have our full comp like we didn't have two of our four international players which is you know Elon Fabloy and Berke um and so the ones that we, the only ones that we did see, Ian um, Vide and Aymara didn't play so much. So this is again where preconceived notions let let a few games play out. Let's and then we'll know more about like you know who's gonna who, who should be playing, who won't be playing, so on and so forth. Agreed. And and even the guys who play, keep in mind, you know, Dylan Andrews is coming off you know a short injury, but hasn't played, shaking off some rust here. Uh, you know, adapting to his his expanded starting role here. I, I think he he played under control for the most part. He just needs to score a little bit more. But, you know, he had, what, like three assists, only one turnover, I think. So there's, there's some things to like there. Uh, and then, you know, I know we mentioned Adembona, but I don't think we can talk enough about Adembona in this game. Like, he's going to be our star player here. Uh, coming off an injury where he hasn't really played a lot, he's pra- been practicing but hasn't played in a competitive game for, God, since last season, I would think. The man the man just looked happy to be on the court. And that energy, that exuberance just translates to just pure joy as a fan watching him play basketball because he just looked like he was having a goddamn ball out there to the tune of 28 points and nine rebounds. Uh, he looked unstoppable. Yeah. Again, it looks like he's going to be our Jaime Hawkes this year. He's going to be, when all else fails, like, you know what's coming. We're going to give the ball to a Dembona and then see what happens. And if we lose, it's going to be because a Dembona misses a shot. Uh, and more than likely that's that's the way that this is trending um and if you listen to Mick, it looks like early on like he he felt some rust too uh you know he he had some wild shots he tried to take a three early on in the game um but after he settled down you know made eight of 11 free throws that's good uh he got because he got fouled a lot so that's good uh 28 points we be interesting to see how, you know, because this was the first game. Now teams are going to build on this, right? So they've seen how our two big actions work, how our high lows work. Um, eventually, by the time we get to Maui, everyone's going to know what's coming with that stuff. And so what are, what are the counters and 
what are the other moves that we take um, if you know once once people like take take those next steps that'll be interesting because you know that's a balance of we need to do what we can execute but then at the same time be competitive uh, in games so that that'll be interesting to watch over the next several games leading into Maui yeah I think the the goal for next several games is just get some of these young guys see legs underneath them which we started with this game we have a game against Long Island University on Friday again let's just keep getting them used to game speed get some of the conditioning up you know work some kinks out get them experience these are teams that are bad right we shouldn't be worried about losing to them unless we don't execute and don't play with effort and which i would not really worry about with a mccronin team uh and again this game it was a bumpy road for sure ups and downs a little bit we had some struggles to start we still won by 31 points here. Like, yep. you you listen to Mikrona's presser after the game, and you would have thought we lost this game. And then you look at the stat sheet, and you look at the score, and you're like, holy shit. But he, he expects excellence, right? He expects us to play a specific certain way. There's a system in place that he wants to make sure that we're adhering to. And I have to admire him for that discipline and for being unwavering in this because I think that's where coaches go awry. We saw this with Ben Howland, right? Like he, his first several years when things were working and he was disciplined and stayed within himself and within his system, things worked really well. But then he lost himself a little bit and tried to do new things and went away from it and, and wasn't you know, committed to that one specific thing that made him so good, it fell apart. And for Mick to now turn the page in his UCLA uh, tenure here a little bit with uh, Tiger and Jaime and, and a lot of these guys moving on and having a brand new roster, and for him to mold these these players and expect that same level of discipline and that say, expect them to play within that same system... I think is a testament to how good of a coach he is. Yeah, all these players that came in knew what they were getting into, um, if, if you follow the stuff. He didn't sugarcoat it to him then, and he's being consistent now. Now, uh, you know, you can do all the all, all that stuff, and hopefully it leads to wins, and then no one feels bad about it. But, But he's consistent, if nothing else. That's who he brings in, and those who come in want to be coached like that and uh you know that's that's just how it's going to be and i think early on he's going to make an emphasis on this because he wants the team to feel the urgency to get better yes us as fans we kind of know the big picture here we're trying to get better to go into march but for him and for the team um like he needs them to feel the urgency now like today so that the process actually happens. Like, for us to get better by March, they need to feel it today. And that's where I think Mick's going with all this. And I think you see it on the court. If you watch the sidelines uh, in the middle of a game, when he pulls, for instance, a Daimara out, I was watching this, he pulls them out of the game. Obviously, a Daimara is upset with himself, not happy with how he's playing. Mick coaches him. He's not like he's just like, get on the bench, I'm not talking to you. Like, he's talking to him. He gets on the bench. The other coaches are there kind of showing him, like, look, do this, do that. Like, you can see that coaching, and you see him responding to it, right? Like, these kids are are, are clearly listening and working with the coach. Yes, he he can be tough. We already know that, and... I think this is a, a situation of, of steel sharpening steel here, and or iron sharpening iron, whatever the hell the, that saying is. But um, yeah, it, it's gonna be it's like we've been saying, it's gonna be a bumpy ride a little bit to start the season. But I think ultimately, it's gonna be a fun one, and I think we're gonna make some noise later in the season. And we're starting off with this level of play already. Again, not perfect, but Honestly, like I said, better than I was expecting. I think we're going to be in for a treat later this season. We got our next game on Friday. 
We do. We do have our next game on Friday against Long Island University. Um, I have no idea where they are on Long Island, but that is the school we are playing. Another 8 p.m. on Friday. Hey, I'll take it. That's uh, that's uh, 8 p.m. on a Friday is not a bad time, I think, for a Los Angeles crowd perspective. You, you avoid some traffic, you know, easy to get to after work. It's uh, not the worst thing. Bad for TV, but no one's watching UCLA Long Island anyways on the East Coast. Unless, I guess, if you're a Long Island fan. Cool. Anything else? We I feel like we covered we a lot here. I think we got it. All right. Well, with that, I think we are going to sign off. As always, follow us on Twitter. Uh, retweet us if you like our content. Share with your friends. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, and as always, go Bruins. Go Bruins.